So, Rafer. Yes, Kristen. We both know, not just both of us, but most of the world knows this story about Noah, this guy with his boat. There's Noah this and flood. The yes. yes. Um, what's your favorite part of the Noah story? My favorite part of the Noah story, I guess my favorite part, because the, is the one that I've always been most puzzled by, is where he gets drunk and curses his son. He, oh. gets, he gets drunk and naked and he gets mad at his son about that. That always, that always really baffled me. That seemed wrong to me. You know what I hate about that part? Hmm. You have such limited resources, but every time you get mad, you're going to crush a glass. You're just going <laughs> to smash that cup. What's, I, you, what's your favorite part of the Noah story? You know, for me, it's kind of a toss-up between the bazookas and the rock monsters. The There's giant a, monsters right. made out of rock. Uh-huh. And, and, and um, the magically sprouting forest. Yeah, you know, there's that too. The, zo- the, zo- to the Zohar, the Zohar uh, pyrite kind of fool's gold gunpowder stuff that you can shoot out of the out of your homemade bazooka. Yeah, I also love grandfatherly wizards. Yeah, okay, oh, all let's right. Let's not forget about the these grandfatherly are all, wizards. These are all. These are all. In case, in case these are are portions of the Noah story <laughs> that you did not read in Genesis, listeners, uh, we're going to talk about this. Noah is the big movie this this week. It's from the writer director Darren. Aronofsky. If you've been following uh, the news and some of the trade publications, major controversy over this film uh, from the faith-based community because of the liberties um, that <laughs> Darren Aronofsky has taken with the movie. And we're going to find out later on, is it, is it the rock monsters that are upsetting people? Is it the magical forest? Is it the hallucinogens? What is it about Noah that's upsetting their Christian community? We're going to talk to <laughs> one of the bloggers who very first fanned the fires of this uh, of this controversy. We'll we'll speak to him later. We'll also review Chavez, Caesar Chavez, the new film starring Michael Pena as the Latino rights activist. But before all that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Mines, our culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. Now the people, they were so bad that the Lord made All right, let's talk about Cesar Chavez first, and we'll save Noah for later. Now, you're from California. You probably grew up knowing all sorts of Chavez stuff growing up, right? And, and I am Mexican American. I am Mexican American. I am half Mexican. Yeah. Uh, well, so I, but you know, I, I will tell you, uh, Cesar Chavez was a little bit, a little bit before my time, or at least I was young, so young at the time that I wasn't really that aware of it, and. Um, so uh, I didn't really know that much about Cesar Chavez even growing up, not until later, actually, not until I got to college and I met other people who were, um, shall we say, more Hispanic than I was, <laughs> than I was. Um, and, you know, were more sort of in tune with their heritage and more in tune with um, these, these kinds of figures. And Cesar Chavez was one of them. Um, so that was where I first kind of started hearing about him. He was a labor leader in the starting in the in the fifties, but mostly in the sixties and seventies. He organized the farm workers, the migrant workers who worked in the fields, particularly in the grape fields for grape growers. And really, his his major achievement, I think, was uh, a grape boycott, a widespread grape boycott that crippled the California growers and got them eventually to sign a contract allowing the workers to unionize, which was a big deal. A lot of these guys were um, Mexican-American and also uh, perhaps illegal uh, immigrants as well. So that was his main concern. Here's the film starring Michael Pena as Cesar Chavez. Let's hear a clip. So who the hell is this Cesar Chavez? Nobody knows. Somebody said he was from Arizona. Word is he used to hang around Alinsky and the other counties from the CSO. 
He's been up and down the valley stirring up trouble. Yeah, I heard he's Mexican. Seems a safe bet. Now, like you, Rafer, but I'm from Minnesota, and I'm not Mexican-American, so I have an excuse. You have every excuse. And and I'm younger, so... um, Not a lot of grapes in Minnesota, I don't think. No, but I remember uh, as a little kid occasionally seeing a bumper sticker on a car that would say, no grapes, and I didn't Uh know what that meant as a kid. And uh, like you, once I got to college and I, I was made more aware of all this, I'm like, oh, this is great. And I was kind of surprised that a movie hadn't been made, a feature film had not been made about Cesar Chavez up it until now. It is surprising. Now. I'm yeah. really surprised. But this is the first feature film, and the cast is, in addition to Michael Pena, who you mentioned, we also have America Ferrera playing uh, Helen, his wife. Mm-hmm. We have as Dolores Huerta, who was working side by side with Cesar Chavez, Rosario Dawson playing that role, as a bad, grape-growing corporate man. We have John Malkovich. Yeah. Uh, so it's an all-star cast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, what did you think of this, Kristen? How did you like this film? This is this is a biopic, and I always feel like biopics come with uh, a little bit of a handicap. Yeah, there are a lot of challenges. You know, what do you focus on? How do you make the story not just feel like a textbook and so on? And I don't really think this film succeeds at jumping all those hurdles, unfortunately. And one of the biggest problems I had is it didn't really set itself upright. I felt that Meaning the movie should have I felt the movie should should not have started with this is the beginning of the movement. It should have started off showing how awful things were and right. why we needed a movement in the first place. America definitely needed this to happen, but we don't have any setup whatsoever. And the conditions were horrific and they start sprinkling those throughout the story after they've already organized. But I needed right. to see those from the get-go so that I could be emotionally invested. Yeah, that's true. I was, I was, uh, I noticed that too. You start, you start out, I think, in maybe 1960, at a point where Cesar Chavez has already been a union organizer. Mm-hmm. He already, in fact, seems to have a little bit of a rep within the union organizing world. People seem to know who he is, and he goes. He, he, it's almost as though he's do, he's doing this brave thing by leaving the office and going back out into the field to kind of get his hands dirty and really, you know, deal with people and really do the grassroots organizing. Um, And so you're right, though. You don't get to see what came before and you don't get to see the the Chavez before. You never see his transformation from migrant worker into savvy uh, union union organizer. And I would have loved to have seen that. I think that would have been a great character arc to have in there. And it's just, it's not there. You just see, here's a guy who's already successful. The worst thing that happens is he works too much and sometimes doesn't get to be the best father. Right. His son, actually, I think is uh, very good. Uh, Fernando is uh, is his son, played by a young actor named Eli Vargas. And I thought that kid was actually pretty good. Yeah, he was good. I actually thought all the acting was really yeah. good. I love all the people in this cast, but I just, it didn't suck me in. It, and not just from the beginning, but throughout the movie, I just felt like it. there wasn't enough at stake for me. Right. Um, yeah, that's true, too. And I think... Um, I think they keep they play Cesar Chavez as this kind of a, a, a humble, earthy saint that all his success seems to stem from this kind of inner nobility. And I and I felt like that's partly due to the script, maybe, but I think also partly due to Michael Pena. I hate to say that because I really love oh. Michael Pena. I love him in everything. I always he's he's often the best thing about the movies that he's in. <laughs> um, so I would kind of say not a great date. Unfortunately, I have to agree with you. Not yeah. not the best date. I wanted this to be better. There, 
it should have been better. Yeah, I agree. Although perhaps a good sort of textbook movie to show in a high school class. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If uh, you're going to read The People's History of the United States, watch this side by right. side with it. That might be the way to do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. OK. Well, so next we're going to turn to Noah. This all belongs to me. This land, this forest, that stronghold of yours. Did you really think you could protect yourself from me in that? It's not protection from you. Then what is it? An ark. To hold the innocent when the creator sends his deluge to wipe out the wicked from this world. Before we get to that, we're going to have an interview with Brian Gadawa, who is a Christian novelist and screenwriter. And he was one of the first people to get a hold of an early draft of the Noah script and read it. And he posted on his blog a vehement broadside against this script, not the movie, because this was just an early draft of the script. And that was one of the things that helped fan the flames of the Christian controversy and the backlash over Noah. He has now seen the movie, and we're going to talk to him momentarily. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Brian, you were the guy who originally obtained an early draft of the Noah script. You read it, and then on your website, you posted a pretty angry, I would say, blog blog post about it. Tell us a little bit about the script and what your reactions were, and what was it that uh, got you upset? Well, I wouldn't exactly say I was the angry Christian type, but... Uh... Yeah, basically, you know, my interest in Noah, the reason why I did that was because I had written my own book uh, about Noah called Noah Primeval, and I had a website about all things Noah, and I just thought, you know, this is really relevant, this is interesting to the to to my my few people who do follow me. So I I went ahead and did the critique of of the script and um it was not very it wasn't very positive. I mean, there were some good things about it, but um it was I, I saw that it was it was going to be the kind of storytelling that I thought religious people, both Jews and Christians and maybe even Muslims, probably would not like. It portrayed Noah as basically an environmentalist wacko, and it actually made Noah to be a very dark and and quite unsympathetic character with the kind of moral issues that he was struggling with in the film. And so because of that, I thought, yeah, the the people who hold this Noah story as sacred are probably not going to like it. And I critiqued it from that aspect. Now, Brian, I have a question about that, um, about the issues with Noah being an environmentalist, because the things that might stand out more to some viewers of the movie are not his moral struggles or his personal struggles, but the fact that there are bazookas, rock monsters, magical wizards, uh, magical forests, a lot of other things like that. Did you take issue with any of those? You know, actually, at least in the script, uh, if that's what we're still talking about, I didn't. Um, And I actually don't in the movie as well. The fact that, you know, uh, Aronofsky uses uh, a little bit of fantasy or imagination. I did the same thing with my own novel. So, you know, I have to fess up to that and say, no, I don't have a problem with that. To me, the concern is, is not about whether or not you get little specific details right. It's what those details are pointing to. It's what's, what is the meaning of the story. That's what's going to really grip people. Now, there's always going to be a certain amount of you know, people in the religious community. Heck, maybe not just religious p- people. Anybody who just loves the story. They did it with Lord of the Rings, right? I mean, if Peter Jackson, you know, people were you know, complaining about every little thing that was wrong, maybe in P- Harry Potter or in, Her- or in, Pete, uh, I'm sorry, in Lord of the Rings. And so 
you're going to have that with people who love the Noah story as well. But the problem is that is that in the Bible, there's not a lot about Noah. So you're going to have to fill out the story with creative imagination. So no, I, I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, it's what that imagination, what end it was used toward. And And now that you have seen the film, What's your verdict? How do you feel that the film uh, treats Noah? Do you feel that it is a an interesting creative interpretation? Do you feel it is a misinterpretation or what? Well, I can say this. I now understand why Paramount would not let me get to an early screening to <laughs> correct my views uh, because it was, quite frankly, in one word, it was god-awful. I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There was bazookas and rock people. There was some really pretty, pretty bad stuff. I, I like to think of it this way. You know, everyone always complains about how there are bad Christian movies, you know, who are – bad Christian movies are, you know, bad acting, bad writing, and they don't care because they're more concerned about preaching their message than about uh, telling a good story. Well, I think we should have a new category now. Call it bad atheist stories Aha. Uh, by f- filmmakers who are atheists who tell stories and are more concerned about their preaching, uh, and they just sacrifice good storytelling to it. Now you now you feel that this movie is preaching, and do you still feel that it is preaching an environmentalist message? And and if so, why? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, people don't fool yourselves. I mean, there's a lot of Christians out there who are saying, no, no, it's not that bad. Yeah, it involves the environment, but really, what you know, there's there's so much more. There's the struggle with justice and mercy, and yeah, I'll grant you that. There are some good things in the movie. I'm not going to sit there and say it's all bad. Um, there's some interesting things. You know, the flood itself was really a cool visual phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, I th- I think they captured that pretty pretty well in a way that that makes it realistic and all that. But um, by and large, don't fool yourself, people. You know, this is a story that uh, he's taken it and he's subverted the original Judeo-Christian story and turned it into a parable for environmentalism. I just don't think that a lot of people are going to like it because of that. And not just because it's bad theology. I'm saying it's really bad filmmaking. All right. So um, for you, it doesn't have to necessarily be a literal translation, but it does have to be a good movie and mostly in keeping with theology, right? Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, there's going to be people who disagree with me and say, hey, you know, uh, 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 I think that there's a lot in there about, you know, his struggle with justice and mercy. It it shows mankind as being sinful and deserving of of being destroyed. Yeah, but that's all because man's bad to the planet, bad and more bad to animals than anything. Let me tell you something here. If you want to know, if you want to know what a storyteller, who a storyteller really hates, look at his villain, and the villain's worldview and his rationale is going to tell you the kind of. Uh, people that the storyteller really hates. And in this movie, the villain is Tubal Cain. He's the bad guy, right? Yes. Now get a load of this. He claims private property, private property rights to owning land. He hunts animals. He eats meat. He uses a primitive gun. I'm not kidding you. Yep. It's probably given to him by ancient aliens. Uh, <laughs> he uses a primitive gun. He keeps emphasizing man is created in the image of God, man superior to animals. We're supposed to have dominion, like the Bible says. All this while he rapes, pillages, and plunders, right? So let me see. What kind of people in today's world believe in private property rights, hunting, guns, says God that God created us in his image? Hmm, maybe conservative biblical Christians? Yep. Yes. Yeah. I know. I think I know. that's the heart of it here. <laughs> I get what you're saying. So, all right. So... Brian, so your 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 final word is still is still god awful on Noah. <laughs> yeah, just don't see the movie, but not because it's a boycott, but it's just a terrible movie. 
Brian, Brian Gadawa, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Oh, that Brian was, I, I could have talked with him for an hour. I know. He's a really, really interesting guy. And I'm not surprised that he did not ultimately like <laughs> Noah, the movie. <laughs> now, he made a case for something which I, um, I've been hearing a lot of the controversy. I've been reading a lot of this controversy about uh, this movie uh, as far as the depiction of uh, environmentalism and so on. And I, as I was saying in our interview with him, uh, I, I was a little bit more taken aback by the rock monsters and the wizards and so on than I was by any of this environmentalism. But I thought he made an interesting case saying, but the bad guy, look at him. He looks like a Republican. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, now you, but you, Christian, you did not feel that Noah is um, an environmentalist or that the movie is some kind of environmentalist parable, whereas I... I felt that it clearly was. I felt that he was clearly an environmentalist. Yeah. Now, here, here's the thing. So in the movie Noah, he doesn't seem like an environmentalist to me. He seems like somebody who has to deal with some extreme weather, so he builds a boat because he doesn't want to drown. <laughs> the weather's crazy. Look at this flood coming. But and- Kristen, he, he, is, he is talking about not just saving the ant. Well, he is, he is talking about... Uh, that the that man's main sin in the film in in the film version is violence against the earth. We do see some uh, some talk of man's violence against himself against each other, mm-hmm. but it's mostly against the earth and the animals. Noah and his family are vegetarians, mm-hmm. and you don't just pick flowers because they're pretty. That's they belong right. to the earth. <laughs> that's that's right. one of the first lessons we get. That's true. We, we, only, right. we only we only pick what we need and what we can use. And so they're vegetarians. Uh, it, the The idea is that man has spoiled the earth. They are going to start again, and at some point, without spoiling too much, Noah does get the idea in his head that perhaps God's intention was not to uh, restart with man, but to restart without man, and that perhaps the earth would be better off with no men in it. That, I think, is one of the things that is upsetting Christians, this idea that uh, Noah, an Old Testament prophet, would be uh, you know, pounding the table for such an extreme anti-humanist uh, theology. That does not bother me. The environmentalist message in the film does not bother me. That seems to be perfectly interpretable from the Bible, that I'm fine with that being a part and parcel of why God would destroy his creation. Uh, And I kind of, I have to say, although I love talking to Brian, I sort of don't quite understand why that's the sticking point. But Mm -hmm. you felt that, you felt that it was... I didn't even feel like he was much of an environmentalist. Interesting. I yeah, think that's I really so fascinating. Kind of just like, oh, the earth's messed up. People are misbehaving. It's terrible. There's lots of raping and pillaging. Yes, trading, there is. Trading underage girls for a yes. cow to eat or a goat or something, you know. And so, Kristen, here's my here's my my question to you: Did you like this movie as as a movie, as a Hollywood spectacle, as a piece of entertainment? Did you like this movie? Not really. And, really. And, he, and here's why. Here's why. I. I, I really don't mind if a movie takes poetic license to, you know, to deviate from the original text. I have no problem with that. I think movies should deviate from the original text. And in this case, what is the story of Noah in the Bible? It's like 20 sentences. It's a really, right. really short. It's a couple pages. Yeah. yeah, it's not much at all. So I have no issue with uh, deviating from that. But I do think that 
The story itself is so fantastic on its own that we don't need rock monsters. We don't need wizards. We don't need magical forests and bazookas. I think that you could have uh, made the story already magical using a lot of what's already in there, using the animals, using extreme weather, using like building an arc is a major undertaking. Yes. An arc that's large enough to hold two of every animal on earth. I mean, that's fascinating (laughs) to me. There's so much already going on there that... I would have um, been fine without the rock monsters and the wizards. Uh, another thing is I just felt like it was too long. And, uh-huh. and I say this all the time about movies lately, but this is almost two and a half hours. We don't yep. need a two and a half hour movie to tell this story, especially because the setup I just felt was way too long. There was way too much setup. And it's kind of the opposite of uh, the Cesar Chavez movie where I felt like there wasn't enough setup. <laughs> this oh, one Kristen. I felt could have used a lot less setup. Interesting. I I wound up liking the movie. Really? Uh, yeah, I did. Oh, wow. I thought it was. I think I think Darren Aronofsky is a really interesting filmmaker. And what I love about his movies is that I think he doesn't care a whit about what your expectations are. And I think he also doesn't actually really care how you react to his movies as long as you react. You know, people, um, when Black Swan came out, I think everyone thought it was just it was a scary movie. I think a lot of people liked it as a scary movie. I thought it was hilarious. I, I laughed. Remember I laughed totally myself silly through the I laughed and laughed at that movie. And I think and I loved it. It was on my top ten list. And I think that Darren Aronofsky would be totally fine with my reaction. I think he'd be completely <laughs> happy that he just got a reaction that that movie stuck in my head. And I feel like Noah is sometimes silly. Um, and a little bit overwrought and feels like a goofy comic book in a lot of ways. But I also feel that it's a great Hollywood spectacle. And I think it also is doing something really serious with the source material. I think it's thinking very hard about what the story of Noah means. I think it's a really ultimately real treatment of a scriptural text. And I think it works. And ultimately... I liked it a lot. I got a I got a real kick out of it. I thought it was very thought provoking. A lot of stuff in there to rap, grapple with. I thought the cast was pretty good. Emma Watson is really good. As, Emma Watson's great. You know, his adopted daughter, and you know, even Jennifer Connelly, I think, is good. Logan Lerman from the. Although, come on, you know, Jennifer Connelly had written in her contract, "I'm the one character not allowed to age in this movie." <laughs> <Did you notice? laughs> That's right. You're right. Okay. Everybody else is getting gray hair. They're like 20 years older. They're putting on weight. They have lines in their face. Jennifer Connelly. Nope, she looks exactly the same through the whole thing. <laughs> like, come on, people. She's like Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused. Yeah, like, they get older, I stay the same age. Yeah, it doesn't matter as long as you're wearing leather leggings and a nice oversized top. Which, right. By the way, the clothes in this, we haven't even talked about the clothes. <laughs> you didn't like the clothes. I like the clothes. No, it's I not... thought the clothes were fine. If you like the Renaissance Festival and if mm-hmm. you really, yeah, it's fine. But I'm fine with all of it. I just it's... laughed at it. I, and, and I was totally fine with some poetic license. I think poetic yeah. license should be taken. But I just don't. I, like I said, the rock monsters and so I didn't need those. Are you and, saying bad date? You know the best thing about this date? The Darren Aronofsky-esque quality about the protagonist. I'm an obsessive, conflicted character. Yeah. Obsessive, obsessive, obsessive. Yeah. He did a good job with that. The spectacle was great, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But not a great date. No. Oh, I thought it was a totally good date. Really interesting. Wow. Um, I, and And I think for... 
for a mainstream Hollywood multiplex movie that your average American is going to plunk down some money and go to see, I think it's pretty weird and pretty interesting and very different. And I'm glad to see that out mm. in the out in the culture. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right. So we've got a difference of opinion. You uh, you say not so great. I say great date. But you know, there you go. Well. We've done our reviews, and as usual, it's time to move on to some movie therapy. Let's. So, let's get on the couch, and let's listen to this. Hi, my name is Will from Edmonds, Washington, and I have a movie therapy question. I have to do a sleep study. Uh, They request that I bring a DVD to watch before actually falling asleep. And so I'm wondering what movie you would uh, suggest. My thought is uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, but they're probably going to be against that. Thank you. Bye. Now that is a movie therapy question. That is that is real movie therapy. This is the this is the place where movies and clinical science intersect. It, I am dying to know what this sleep study is I about. Know. I have I have a friend who back in college was a guinea pig from time to time. I was also a guinea pig from time to time, uh-huh. but but I never did a sleep study and one of my friends did it and he always uh, described it thusly. The other people in the sleep study, each of you would take a pill each night and see how it worked. Half a pill. And if you matched up your half a pill with anyone else, you'd see that theirs said Psalm. How interesting, because mine says uni. <laughs> <laughs> How funny. <laughs> Anywho, so your question about the sleep study, we don't really know what's being measured in this sleep study that you're going to be doing. No, um, but they probably are going to put the little ring on your... On your, on on your, your what ring? Well, okay. <laughs> do you know... <laughs> They do this in sleep studies, you know. Oh, I have no idea of what what ring and what they put it on. Sorry, I brought that up. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, Will. TMI. Uh, All right. So, Kristen, what's your your suggestion for a good pre-sleep study film? All right. So... Both Rafer and I think it's hilarious that you're even considering Nightmare on Elm Street. But, yes. <laughs> but we like the idea of sleep-themed movies as an idea. So right. one movie I would recommend uh, in that vein would be The Science of Sleep. Now, Michelle Gondry, who most of us know from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, already makes kind of dreamy, semi-illogical movies where time and space are kind of mixed up. And The Science of Sleep is a movie that I think uh, not a lot of people saw. Yeah, including myself. I've not seen it. Yeah, it has Charlotte Gainsbourg in it. It has the very foxy Gail Garcia Bernal, who I just love. Oh, yeah, I love that guy. Love him. Love him. Could just watch him forever. And uh, in this movie, uh, there are different explorations of, you know, sleeping and waking And it does feel a little bit like a dream. And so I would recommend watching that. Hey, what's this? That's the... Is your mom's? No, that's the one second time travel machine I told you about. I finished it for you. What are you going to do with one second? So that's a clip of the science of sleep. What what about you, Rafer? I would suggest um, one of my favorite films of the last few years, Inception by Christopher Nolan, the oh. labyrinthine oh, darn that movie. mystery, thriller, action, sci-fi, who knows what to categorize that film as. But you know, uh, you, you know I know what? you hated it. You I, hated I, that movie. Okay, hate's not the right word. I just felt like it, it felt like he was trying to play a trick on us. Christopher Nolan is trying to challenge you so much that it's like a duel, and I want entertainment, and sometimes I don't want to feel like you're trying to play smartest guy in the room and be in a fist fight with me. And so I don't know if I would agree with you with that recommendation, Ray. I love it, and I think, uh, I mean, first of all, great cast, uh, DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Tom Hardy, uh, Ellen Page, 
great cast and a lot of fun, incredibly complex, very well thought out. I think it works. These dreams within dreams within dreams. DiCaprio, if you haven't seen the film or you don't know about it, DiCaprio plays a dream thief. He kind of goes inside people's psyches to try and rob them of precious private data and passwords and such that they may be storing somewhere in their subconscious or unconscious. I think it's wonderful, weird, beautiful looking, uh, fantastic, really thrilling. And, um, and, and as Kristen said, it may tax your brain so much that it will actually put you to sleep. That certainly is a no, possibility. No, I'm afraid it's going to tax your brain so much you won't be able to fall asleep. <laughs> and so the sleep study, all the doctors and the coats who are watching on the other side of the two-sided mirror are going to think, when will this guy freaking fall asleep? When will he fall asleep? And it'll be completely Rafer's fault that you're not asleep because he's recommending this movie. Just to give you a sample of what you're in for with Inception, here's a clip. I know how to search your mind and find your secrets. I know the tricks, and I can teach them to you so that even when you're asleep, your defense is never down. Look, if you want my help, you're going to have to be completely open with me. I need to know my way around your thoughts better than your wife, better than your therapist, better than anyone. If this is a dream and you have a safe full of secrets, I need to know what's in that safe. In order for this all to work, you need to completely let me in. That's my recommendation to you. Um, Kristen, I think also just in case you want a movie that really will just bore you to tears, <laughs> I, think you could, I think you could choose um, something like Last Year at Marion Bad. Great recommendation. I'd also recommend Cave of Forgotten Dreams by uh -huh. Werner Herzog, one of his unfortunate documentaries from the past few years, which um, – yeah, I, I actually did fall asleep during. <laughs> and I think, and, and Kristen brought up a, a, a recommendation uh, when we were consulting together in our uh, doctor's office. Uh, she brought up, and I agree, uh, Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. Oh my God. I'm falling asleep. Oh just boy. Oh, that's smoky. <laughs> so there you go, Will. As always, if you have a movie therapy question, just call us or write us. Rafer prefers calls, obviously. I prefer calls, 5717 movies. Or you can visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. No question is too big or small, but we did love that sleep study question. Yes, that's a tough one to top. <laughs> Any question about life or uh, about movies, we will give you a prescription of what to see. So, as usual, let's wrap things up with some movie trivia. Indeed. So last week, uh, because we were talking about Muppets Most Wanted, which starred Ricky Gervais, not the first actor you think of uh, when you're looking to cast a kid's movie, perhaps, but it turns out he has been in one before. We asked you to identify the movie. We played this clip. I cannot tolerate this type of chaos. I mean, this is a museum, not a... <coughs> and here was the correct answer. Hi, uh, this is George from Tata Springs. I'm going to take a chance at the trivia question. I think it's uh, Night at the Museum. But once again, that's just a guess. I did not see the movie. We <laughs> love your show. Talk to you later. Bye. George in Powder Springs, Georgia. Yes, is your indeed. name really George? George <laughs> in Georgia? <laughs> or is your name actually Powder Springs? <laughs> George, we love it when you call. Yes. And we love it when all listeners call. And maybe one of you will call with the answer to this week's trivia question. So in honor of Noah, we were uh, thinking about different movies that include severe weather making of boats and so on. And we're going to play a clip of another movie in which there's some severe weather in the building of a boat. Here's a clip. What? Why an ark? I mean, that's like flood territory. You wouldn't do that again. You wouldn't do that. Would you do that? Let's just say that whatever I do, 
I do because I love you. What is that movie, Rafer? What do you think that is? I know what that movie is, but I'm not telling. But if you know, listeners, give us a call. 5717movies. Or visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. So what's up, John B. Sales?